Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryans, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. This week on the podcast, we continue our conversation about the history of the Common Errors in English Usage website. Paul Bryans was just telling us about how the site got to be so popular. So after a while, this got to be huge. And I began to realize, you know, foreign newspapers like the Bangkok Times were promoting the site in in Toronto. and, And I was getting emails just pouring in about it and uh, I unfortunately I had to reset the counter on the site at a certain point because our the IT people at my university screwed things up and I lost the first million hits that I had so I always add a million to the figure that shows on the counter now but it was getting very impressive and I had been teaching world civilizations this was an introductory freshman class starting with human evolution and ending the 15th century. And uh, I was using a textbook from a firm that was represented by uh, William Hoffman. And Bill used to come to see me every year and uh, ask how I liked the book and if I was going to be using the new edition and so on. He was a very friendly guy and I, I loved chatting with him. And he knew that I had very wide interests. I wasn't a historian. I was... Um, I, I think of myself as somebody who's interested in the history of ideas and literature especially, but I've written about a lot of other things too. Anyway, he told me after talking to me about his current employer that he and a friend, um, Jim Lisey, were thinking about um, branching off uh, a new imprint from the publishing firm where they had been doing uh, textbooks for uh, computing, uh, computer science classes, and doing something with the humanities. And he wanted to know if I had anything that was I, I was interested in writing that might turn into a book that they could use. And I, he said, we were looking for things that would be sort of an evergreen, like that would continually sell... Um, like strunk and white elements of style. And I said, well, do you know about my common errors in English usage? No, he'd never heard of it. So I brought it up on the screen and just started going through it and showing him all the badges that I had acquired as recommendations from different sources evaluating sites. And he got really excited about it and said, well, this would be really great. But I said, but the problem is this is a website and it's free. And it's non-commercial. It's on a university website. There's no advertising. By the way, I get a lot of approaches from people wanting to advertise on the website, offering money and stuff. And mm-hmm. that's just out of the question. It legally cannot be done, even if I wanted to. Um, but uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to take this back to Jim and we'll talk it over. And every once in a while, over the next year, I would hear things. Bill finally decided that he couldn't uh, afford to go ahead with this project himself. He had to take another another job 
uh, work full time. And so I didn't really know Jim before he finally got back in touch with me and said, I think we're going to go for it. And that was a quite an experience because here I was being evaluated by somebody. I had no idea what was going on in his brain. Um, he turned out to be an absolute delightful person to deal with, but I was a little t intimidated at first. It was like I was waiting in somebody's waiting room for an interview for a year. <laughs> this was uh, 2001. And uh, finally saying, uh, okay, well, thanks for your interest. We'll get back to you. And then another long wait. And then finally, okay, we're going for it. <laughs> Which... It, it was exciting, but it was also both of us were concerned. How can you get people to buy a book that is up on the web for free? And, well, not everybody had web access. Of course, that's become almost universal in, in the United States now. Um, but the other thing is that my site is set up like most reference sites, like dictionaries and stuff. We get one entry at a time. It's not easy to browse. I did make a version that's just a text file that you can browse, but it's not that comfortable to read. And I realized, you know, I'll, I'll, flipping through a book, there's something really efficient about it, particularly if it's arranged in alphabetical order. And um, the other thing is that a book can be engrossing. I got started to get a lot of comments from people who would, say, you know, I just tried to look something up and then I got stuck for two hours and I just spent all that time reading because I couldn't stop reading it. And I thought, okay, that sounds more like a book mm -hmm. than a website. And indeed, that turned out to appeal to a lot of people. Well, it was at that point, uh, maybe about 2002, that I was lucky enough to get brought in too as the editor of the book edition. And that was great fortune for me because you're a terrific editor. Well, thank you for that. But but the um, the thing that was the most fun for me is um, I was working in that publishing entity that was doing uh, computer science textbooks and still is. Um, and to be doing something that actually was related to something that, that was more in my training as a as an editor, <laughs> that was just right in my wheelhouse. And I all of a sudden felt very, very comfortable with, with the material, uh, which isn't always the case with the, um, with the computer science, but with a programming textbook. So it was, a, it was always a, a, a lot of fun. It has been a lot of fun for me to, to get involved with the project. And, um, uh, just my own little contribution here was was in reading through the entries. I all of a sudden started having um, uh, things pop into my head uh, that were spurred by the humor of the writing. Uh, I started getting visuals of other 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 funny things that could go along with with what you were uh, with the uh, entries, and that was where I started assembling cartoons uh i would write captions uh i was a lot of this was based on uh old comic strip that i remember that was called arts gallery and um, I, I was feeling very inspired by 
something that used to used to run when I was a kid in the San Francisco Chronicle paper. And these elaborate um, uh, drawings with with funny captions. Uh, so I started looking around for for these visuals that could be captioned, and I found I found since I have no no particular skill at at uh, illustration myself, I started drawing from the the works in the public domain, and it turns out they they work very well. There's a good very good harmony with the, with the tenor and the tone of the humor of the book uh, to go along with that aesthetic, I think. Have you ever seen Steve Melcher's This That is Priceless? No. You should look at it. What he does is reproduce a painting, usually European older paintings, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes famous and sometimes just very obscure, and give them clever captions yes. that give sort of updated... It sounds like what this column was doing with the etchings for you, except now these are full color. Mm -hmm. now, I read this one every day, and sometimes they're very funny, and sometimes they're just kind of lame, but <laughs> it's fun. Well, you know, the 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 trove of, of good illustrations uh, in public domain, of course, a lot of it's Victorian, so... Um, uh, it's very. It can be very, very detailed, and uh, it it's just fun to work with. Well, you know, this actually began earlier, in a way, um, that I put up an illustration on my website of uh, a, a group of men uh, sitting in a classroom applauding a professor who was lecturing in the front of the room, uh, pointing to a blackboard, and. I think that was on the website before the book. I don't remember. Do you? Uh, was it? Was that one I just suggested when we were designing the book? Oh, you know what? I I think that may have been found by. Um, or was it Jim that found it? I think it was found by a designer who was working okay. here. Okay. Okay. That's that's it. Right. And but I looked at it and I showed it to my wife and she said that's awfully male. Yes. <laughs> and I said, mm, yeah, indeed. So you guys found a woman who could be a substitute for the male in his academic gown. <laughs> and that's what wound up on the cover of the book. Yeah. On the website. Yeah. Right. Well, anyway, I was really happy to get involved with the project as an, as an editor and then as a contributor for, to do the cartoons. Now we didn't just stop there though, with the book. Well, tell me, you can tell the story of the calendar because I had very little to do with that. Well, the other thing that popped in my head is that, that this would be good material for one of those uh, desk calendars where you tear off a page, you tear off a page every day. And uh, once again, you know, we're just, I'm just stealing ideas left and right, you know, but thinking about the uh, word, word a day, the, the vocabulary builder, right. um, the, all these popular tear off calendars. Um, but this this seemed like a a, a a natural. There were short entries; they could fit on a small calendar page, um, and we it'd be very very easy to to do um, to to repurpose all of this material as as a desk calendar. So in two thousand five, the first calendar came out two thousand six. But in two thousand five, I I set to work on this thing and of course I knew nothing about the calendar industry at the time 
So I was working on a 2006 calendar um, and I got it together sometime around, oh, May or June of 2005, thinking, well, we'll sell it for 2006, not realizing that the cycle of, of calendar sales requires that your calendar be prepared sometime around February or March in order to hit the selling cycle. So we had a year of uh, cannon fodder, essentially, for the, for the calendar, where we produced a very short run, but a very successful run. And we're able to partner with Barnes and Noble and bring it out into a much wider audience in the, in the subsequent years. Well, I think the other thing that's entertaining is you got a cease and desist letter at one point from the of the day people. <laughs> yes, the the pay, this was called the page a day calendar uh, initially. Uh, once again, not knowing anything about the industry, uh, somebody pointed out to me that we had named our calendar. Uh, the Common Errors in English Usage Page a Day Calendar, which was a trademark infringement uh, from uh, Workman Publishing. And it turns out they published all of those daily calendars. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, I started realizing that the whole um, the, the whole area of calendar production, cal- calendar marketing, <laughs> had pretty well been. Uh, uh, it pretty well been that that territory had been pretty well staked out and um it was just lucky that we were able to partner with barnes and noble um that that helped to bring the calendar out and to give give it a proper audience and didn't you go to some kind of a workshop on creating and marketing calendars i don't think i, I all of my schooling was in phone calls with angry ah. people who were telling me that I was doing it all wrong. <laughs> not, not, I don't remember ever going to any kind of, I thought Jim said there was something like that. Anyway, there was the discovery that there's one place in China from which you can get the little plastic stands that hold the calendar. Yeah. They, these are all sourced out of China, of course, like everything else. And, that's part of the reason for for producing your calendar early in the year is to make sure that you lay claim on uh, the number of plastic stands that are going to be produced that year for for all of these calendars. One um, of the disappointments I had um, here where I live on Bainbridge Island is that I would donate each year to our public library a copy of the errors calendar and they would put it on the checkout desk. It was very nice because I, every time I went in there, I would see that day's error or I would say, Hey, you haven't ripped off the page yet for today. But because the calendar was printed with no identification on the pages of what it was from mm. the librarians by and large thought it was the word of the day calendar. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't realize it was by somebody who, that was actually a resident of their town mm-hmm. who was coming into the library every day. <laughs> well, yeah, that's too bad. Well, I, uh, the the fact is that uh, eventually the print calendar became untenable. Um, uh, the market well, sort of fell off the table, especially maybe possibly as a result of the internet. I'm not sure. Well, didn't Barnes and Noble also decide to? to just pretty much take, you know, cut back on the number they were selling and 
they published their own version for a while, mm-hmm. which just had their imprint on it's the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then they cut back on their stock because there were just entirely too many of these box calendars out there. Yeah, they did. And and the box calendar, the desk calendar thing has, has really dropped off. And I think that the novelty of it was fully exploited by possibly by the far side calendar. Um, uh, and the idea that um, people who, who loved the far side could not get two far side cartoons every day. If they, if they bought the calendar, if they bought their desk calendar, of course, these days, anybody who wants to read, um, you know, two far side calendars, comics or two, two of any comic, um, can get online and just, uh, you know, rip through as much as they want to, as much as the, until they're fully, fully sated. And I, it's so I don't, uh, I, I, I think that that's cut into some of what the, what the, um, the desk calendar used to do for people. But this does explain why there's this rather odd usage of what is essentially a daily email or a daily Facebook post or a daily tweet mm-hmm. is referred to us by as the calendar because it is an extension of what was at one time calendar. The, right, yeah. And yeah. you kept that up by trying to choose entries that to match up with major holidays and historical events and so on. That's right, yeah. I like to do that as, as much as is, is possible to... Uh, and and luckily there are entries that that will mention a holiday or or uh, entries that are on on certain words that could be associated with holidays. That brings us up to date with all of the calendar news and the book publication news. Well, the latest thing that I really enjoyed about the book marketing was when you managed to get the book in a couple of catalogs before the Christmas season, the Bob Bleu catalog, and the signals catalog and what was a real thrill for me was finding that they had for some reason maybe because the illustration on the cover looked kind of old-fashioned put the ad for common errors in english usage on the same page with lots of downton abbey merchandise which made it uh, obviously a page that a lot of people were going to look at thoroughly and uh, i think that ad did very well but i'll just say another big part of uh the evidence of the book's existence is from keeping the website freely available. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who write to me saying, oh, I've enjoyed using your your site so much. And I have a, a standard text that I send back to people who say how much they like the website, saying, um, well, you can also read the blog, and if you want, you can read the book and uh, buy the book. And then um, I would say maybe half the time people write back Although fully aware that there's you've got full access to the site, say yeah, I just ordered the book. That sort of brings us full circle. Then the origins of the of the site, particularly interesting, going back um, 18 years now, and still still going strong with 17 million people visiting. Congratulations, Paul! It's it's obviously I think it's a fantastic site because uh, we continue to work with you to produce the the book and. Uh, and um, I hope we'll continue on long into the future uh, producing podcasts. Okay, well, it's fun. Okay, thank you, Paul.
that'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.